0: Welcome in to another episode of the Golden Sombrero Show. I'm Dominic Stern, joined by Cole Bradley and Ryan Blank. As always, today we'll be talking about a whole lot of things regarding the baseball offseason rewards, head coaching hires, new owner in baseball. we got a lot to get to, uh, not time out any games, of course, as it is the offseason, but we are fortunate enough to have content to talk about. Golden, uh, Our Golden Sombrero report will be next week, mostly because I forgot about it, but... We also have a lot of stuff to talk about, so we will have that soon.
1: Dom, can As I just say I'm proud of you for admitting that you said you forgot. I thought you were just going to say we have so much stuff we have to say, then I was going to have to call you out for it.
0: I don't lie to my listeners, Ryan. I may mislead them sometimes, uh, but I don't lie to them, uh, especially when it comes to our World Series prediction. No lies there. Uh, but, guys, how are you doing today? It's another fine Thursday
1: afternoon. How are you doing, Cole? How are you doing, Ryan? Good. Good. Doing good. Just won this election uh, speed it up at this point.
0: I think it's fairly inevitable what's going to happen in this country. But we thank you for coming and tuning in to some baseball talk because we know that, uh, like Ryan was alluding to it, can get a little tough listening to the same stuff over and over on CNN, Fox, NBC, ABC, wherever you're listening.
1: Oh, a report just came in. The Royals have acquired Dylan Coleman, from the Padres to complete the Rosenthal trade.
0: I see that. I really don't care. You want to
1: know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, the Padres just sent in their their player to be named later's for that trade and what other trade? I don't know. The, what, Andrew, uh, Chafin, the Andrew
2: Chafin trade was completed today. Don't know the yeah. name of the guy we got from the Cubs, but that's cool. We're seeing player to be named later getting traded as uh, –
0: You couldn't be traded during the trade deadline during the season if you weren't on the 60-man roster pool. So we're seeing those trades that hadn't been previously completed get completed over these past couple of days. Ryan, of course, mentioning the Padres trade that sent Rosendahl's of the Padres being completed. So it's nice to see. But we got other stuff to talk about. Let's talk about the managerial hire that we were alluding to last show. It got announced Friday morning, which, of course, was after we recorded. We said it was going to happen, but we never really gave our thoughts because we wanted to make sure that it was going to happen. But AJ Hinch, former manager of the Houston Astros when they won the 2017 World Series, made it to the ALCS in 2018, then made it back to game seven of the World Series in 2019. Of course, amid a huge cheating scandal. Uh, nonetheless, he still got his team there. He is now the manager of the Detroit Tigers after sitting out for a year in 2020 when he was suspended for his role in the cheating scandal. Guys, what do you think about A.J. Hinch, one, returning to a managerial position uh, in baseball, and two, what do you make this hire for the Detroit Tigers?
2: Well, I guess to start, um, I really like this hire, and, you know, if I was to compare it so far with the La Russa hire, this is far and away a better hire. Um, Hinch is a much more successful manager in our game today, you know, say what you will about the cheating thing. Um he is a still a very good manager, I think. Um, he's definitely a good fit with Detroit because he used to play there, I think, as well. That's always that's always nice, and I'm sure that's part of the reason he ended up going there. I also really like it because, you know, Detroit's one of those teams where the past couple years they've, they've been bad. They've been one of the worst teams in the league, but they've racked up those draft picks and, you know, they've stacked up on talent that um, – is going to be coming up in the near future, particularly on the pitching side of things. Um, and he's definitely a guy who I think can help mold, um, a roster of, you know, young studs and turn them into a potential. I'm not going to say a I'm not going to say a, a you know, definite playoff team, but a potential playoff caliber team, um, over the next few seasons. Um, And so I think he's definitely the right guy for the job. You know, he, he did a lot of that with the Astros, you know, worked with a lot of talent there, um, very highly analytical mind as the Astros were, he brings that to Detroit. Um, I think that helps as well. Um, I really like the hire. Um, I think it's going to do a lot for their team, for their franchise. Um, and yeah.
1: Yeah, I think this is a good hire. For Detroit, he obviously has a connection because he played there. But also, he's a winner. He's won a World Series. I know there was cheating and there's all that, but still got the team there gone together. You can't just take everything he did away from the cheating scandal. Not everything. But connection there, I think he's going to be great for the youth that's there. We've seen Detroit struggle for the past few years. Pitching is where their strong suit is going to be soon. They have great guys coming up, including Casey Mize. So there's so much talent and potential and youth there. I think A.J. Hinch is a perfect guy to connect with them and bring a nice young core together in an attempt to win because he did that in Houston was get a core together. So I think it's a great hire. Do I like it because it's a rival of the Royals? No, but for Detroit's purposes, I think it's a good hire, and I think it it puts them – Closer to the right direction where they want to go.
0: Right. And you guys mentioned the pitching of the Detroit Tigers. And while that's absolutely correct, you also gotta look at what he did with the pitching staff in Houston. Now, of course, he wasn't the primary guy doing all the work with the pitchers, but I mean you look at it, they I wanna say they revitalized Justin Verlander's career, but they certainly made him very uh equatable to the pitcher or very comparable to the pitcher that he once was in Detroit after multiple Injuries and multiple down years, he got back to that level. Ended up winning the Cy Young, which we've already talked about. Should have went to Garrett Cole, but still, still a little mad about that. Anyways, uh, you know they revitalized. They definitely revitalized Garrett Cole. Made him live up to that number one draft pick. Revitalized Charlie Morton. Figured him out. Then he went off to Tampa Bay, and of course was electric out there. As well, a couple of other pitchers that have uh, also succeeded under him: Colin McHugh. You really looked at Brad Peacock there as well, Lance McCullers. Bunch of really talented pitchers. You know, whenever you talk about the Houston Astros, you always talk about the hitters, but that pitching staff was very good out there, and he always did a great job of managing those guys out there. So how he's going to develop these guys? You guys already mentioned Casey Mize. He wasn't that great in 2020. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, he was a rookie. It's a weird season. It's really tough to judge players based on the season alone, but he wasn't great. He's going to have to work with Casey Mize to help him get to that number two overall pitching prospect in baseball status, the best right-handed pitching prospect in baseball status, because he did not live up to that hype this year. They also got Matt Manning. You got Tariq Skubal, who also appeared this year. They got Alex Fajardo down in there. They've got a ton of pitchers. Their pitching staff is going to be so good. We'll see how AJ Hinch can work with the pitching coach and with the pitchers to help develop those guys and to get them where they need to be. Because the Detroit Tigers have gone through, you know, a lengthy rebuild at this point. It's been uh, almost five years since they've really been relevant in baseball, and you know, soon they got Miguel Cabrera coming off the books. That's going to help them out. Uh, Detroit. It's not really the most profitable market in baseball, but uh, certainly if this pitching staff performs. Some players could want to come to Detroit in the next coming years. A.J. Hinch is going to be a big part of that. So, Ryan, you mentioned that you're a Royals fan. You're not a huge uh, – you're, you're a little worried about the Tigers in the future. Uh, where do you think this puts them in terms of their rebuild for competing with the Royals? Because you two are the teams that are, that are really building up. The, uh, the Indians are probably on the bit of the downslide, and the Twins really showed this year that they aren't as dominant, especially in the lineup-wise. So how do you see the Tigers comparing to the Royals now that they've hired A.J. Hinch and you claim is a good manager?
1: Yeah, I think they have the advantage of pitching, even though both teams have great pitching prospects. The Royals showed a couple of their great prospects in Boobich and Singer this year who were good. But looking at the Tigers, they've got an elite amount of terrific prospects at pitching. So they're really setting themselves up to be one of the best pitching staffs soon. They're also setting up themselves to have a solid outfield. I think when it comes down to it, in the next three, four years, when they have the brunt of their talent up, these will be two of the top teams contending for the division. I really think that, along with the White Sox, because they're still young and have a lot of talent. But you're seeing the Twins. They're slipping. The Twins are not – have not shown that they can be that contender once they reach the playoffs. Then the Indians, especially after the report with Lindor, because they intend to trade because they don't have the money to afford them, they're going to start slipping, like you said, Dom. So it's going to come down to it where the Royals and Tigers could end up battling for the division in the next few years because of the talent and because of the farm systems that each team has.
0: All right, there you have it. Tigers, they're going to be a uh, force to be reckoned with in the AL Central. I do think that both those teams, the Tigers and the Royals, can make an impact. Maybe not this year, but certainly in 2022, we could be seeing those teams up at the top of the division. I think we all can agree the, the White, so this is the White Sox division for the next couple of years. Uh, Tim Anderson is going to be a free agent in 2022, so we'll see how they capitalize on him. In this upcoming year, Jose Abreu is going to be a free agent in 2023. So they do have some of those guys that are, have been the key contributors coming off the books. And once you see those guys possibly go away, if the White Sox don't bring them back, that's really when you can start to see the Tigers and the Royals really take a stride to get that division under grabs. So next transaction that we really want to talk about uh, is an owner. Uh, we normally don't hear about this, but Steve Cohen has bought the New York Mets, Uncle Stevie. And a lot of people don't seem to think this is a huge deal, but when you look at it, Steve Cohen has more money than the three most expensive owners in baseball. So you're, you're seeing a really dynamic owner come into baseball. He's a Mets fan. What do you guys think of, this, uh, of this, uh, this purchase from Steve Cohen? And what do you think this has in the future for the New York Mets, who should be one of baseball's most uh, – promising franchises.
2: I think uh, looking at it in terms of its impact right now, it means so much right now going into this uh, off season with free agency, because in a time where teams are really going to be doing anything but spending big money, Cohen comes in with all of this cash. And he's said that he's willing to be aggressive and go out and make the team better. Um and there's a lot of guys who are going to be looking for big money. This is a pivotal offseason for the Mets to improve. Um, and, again, there's a lot of teams that are going to be more conservative than they are aggressive. So Cohen coming in at the right time with all this money is helping them, you know, definitely make a push for some of the bigger free agents like Bauer, like Springer, like Real Muto. Um, if they can get at least one of those guys, I think that's that's huge because any of those guys impact your team in a positive light. Um, But even just for the future, he seems like, you know, he's very fan oriented. I don't think I've ever seen a general manager interact with fans on Twitter um, as much as he has. I mean, who's to say that all the stuff that he said, you know, to some of his Mets fans in his mentions over the past couple of days is going to come to fruition. But the fact that he's, you know, doing that right away, that he's coming in right now and he's he's already engaging with his fans, that means a lot especially for a team like the Mets that, you know, has a very strong fan base. There's a lot of people who do like the Mets, not the caliber of the Yankees, but, you know, New York's a big market. It's a big baseball market. It's a big baseball town. Um, And so, you know, being able to make those connections early is, is very, is very positive. So I think this is good for the Mets. Um, I think it puts them in a really good spot, Um, not only now, but for the future. I mean, we've, You know, the Mets have been the meme team, if you will, for for the longest time. I mean, they just seemingly can't get anything right. Guys can't stay healthy. You know, they sign horrible contracts. This can change. I'm not going to say all of that. But this can definitely, you know, be a step in the right direction for the organization. So definitely, if you're a Mets fan, if you're someone who is, you know, just into this team in general, this is definitely something to keep your eye on. Um, as this off season, as the years progress, um, but yeah, I think this is—I think this is huge for baseball as well. And I just, I'm going to be interested to see how things shape out.
1: Yeah, this is big for the Mets because all their fans hated the Wilpons because they were cheap. They wouldn't do anything to make the team better, and I think getting Steve Cohen, who's the richest owner now. Is big. It helps them because they need to get something back on the field to where they're going to get that traction again and where they're going to be some, a team that people talk about. I know that. My friend Michael Graffa, he is ecstatic about it. He's been pushing for it for months and is so happy that there's a new owner for the Mets. But the way that he's – like Cole said, the way he's already connecting with fans – and giving them excitement through free agents or through trades or anything like that is awesome because Mets fans have felt very unchained or unconnected, I should say, to the organization, what they were thinking. And Steve Cohen said, he's going to spend the money. He's going to make this team contenders again. And whether that's going on getting a guy like JT Romuzzo Trevor Bauer, or George Springer, they're going to go try to get that and try to get a team out there as soon as possible. I know that there's now pressure for a Lindor trade. There's a lot of options for them. I don't think they're going to get Lindor. I don't know if Lindor's going to really be traded. But I think it's going to come down to can Steve Cohen deliver? Will he deliver? He's talking a big game. If he can deliver, then this best team has a bright future with him there and on the field. So it really just depends.
2: Something just to add before before you know we get any further. I I saw that I think it was Noah Syndergaard tweeted that you know he felt like the Will Pons, who were the previous owners, um, treated him and a lot of the other players like commodities, and he said he's just hoping Cohen treats them more as individuals. So I think this is de- again it's it's huge for the Mets because there's such there's obviously was a much deeper. Deeply rooted problem within the organization like people just didn't get along agree with each other and that's never what you want. You want agreement and you know camaraderie um, Amongst all levels of your organization, whether it's the managerial staff the front office the the roster itself You know you want everyone to get along you're a team you're you're an organization you're in it for the long haul Um, And so again, just just seeing that from the players speaks volumes for what the situation was like before it obviously was not good Um, and so again, I mean, it just makes it that much more important.
0: Right. You, you, you jumped in right before I was going to say that exact same thing. I was going to refer to what Noah Syndergaard said, and that's important because everyone who plays professional baseball is doing that because that's what they're good at and it's what they enjoy doing the most. And if you have an owner who doesn't like respect that you're trying to help the franchise win so that the owner can get more money and stuff like that and you treat them like they're you know, like they're not even players, they're like you know your employees and not like they're actually players and that they're doing what they want to do, the player's going to have less fun playing for your team. And when you have less fun playing for your team, you're not going to perform as well as you possibly could have. Because every year we go into talks, preseason, uh, spring training, we're making our predictions, and every year people are like, this is the Mets year, this is the year they're going to finally live up to their expectation. And they don't. And it's because their players don't have fun playing for the Mets. Uh, Noah Syndergaard has been a prime example. He's been very outspoken with the uh, with the New York media about stuff, and that's probably because he's six foot six, and no one wants to mess with him. Uh, so he said this multiple times. I've heard from multiple people that are very loyal New York sports fans that uh, the Mets treat their players like just awful, especially in the minor leagues. They basically just used Tim Tebow and treated him like crap for uh, a financial standpoint, which, I mean, I wanted the Padres to do that as well. Maybe not treat him, like, maybe not treat him poorly, but sign him, sell Tim Tebow jerseys, you know, market him as a player, and then help him get better and help him try to get to the major leagues, which is what he wanted. But that was never the Mets' intention. They just brought him in, kept him down in the minors, said, all right, go out there and play Tim, uh, draw fans. And it's tough to watch because the Mets, we've already talked about, great fan base, Uh you know, really good fan base, really big fan base. And we'll see if Steve Cohen can finally deliver for them. Uh, They're a big market team. We'll see if he treats it like he's the owner of a big market team, because certainly capable of bringing in those big market players. I mean, I know we're not going to talk about this, this show, but I certainly feel like they need to go after George Springer and play him in center field because uh, center field has been a weak spot for that team for the past couple of seasons. And George Springer is the best center fielder on the market, but, the, they're gonna have options. We'll we'll see how Steve Cohen handles this. He's a Mets fan. He's gonna want to win as the Mets owner. He's not gonna treat it like it's a business piece. Now, of course, he's gonna want to make money out of it. That that would be stupid for him to not want to do that. But he's not gonna be afraid to put some money on the table in order to bring in bigger hands. Uh, a little bit of a poker reference there. But uh, I won 15 bucks playing poker last night, so had to had to had to give a little reference there. Uh, anything else you guys want to say about Steve Cohen?
1: I respect it. I respect it.
0: Yeah, because you kind of – took all
1: your money in poker?
0: What? Twice? Yeah. Remember
1: when I took your money in poker? Uh, that wasn't twice. It was once.
0: Uh, yes, you did do that. Anyways, you guys got anything else to say about Steve Cohen in the Mets situation? No? Yeah, and we'll, we'll see where they go with uh, with GM. He's already said that he wants to bring back Sandy Alderson. Not entirely sure it's the best move, although that's better than Birdie Van in uh, and then we'll see if they bring back Luis Rojas as their, their manager. I wasn't a big fan of bringing him in, in the first place. Uh, and he did not do a very good job of maximizing the Mets potential. They finish in last place in that division, which is no reason that team should be finishing in last place. Anyways, next let's go with, uh, our awards predictions. The MLB announced the finalists for the coach of the year, the rookie of the year, the Cy Young award and the MVP. So let's start with manager of the year because I feel like, you know, this is the least important one. This is the one where it's not really one on the field. it's someone with your managing and such, let's start with the American league. Three nominees for this are Rick Renteria of the Chicago White Sox. He led the Chicago White Sox back to the playoffs with a very young and dynamic team ended up getting fired. Yeah. What well, Ryan?
1: Can we all acknowledge how funny it is after the White Sox fire him? He gets nominated as a finalist, and then they congratulate him on Twitter. Yeah,
0: that was that was, that was a tough look. Yeah, that
1: must be pretty funny.
0: Yes. Anyways, he led them to a 35-25 and 25 record for the White Sox this year. Next up, Charlie Montoyo, head coach of the Toronto Blue Jays. He led them to a 32-28 and 28 record. Once again, another really young team. It wasn't expected by a lot of people to be this good, but another dynamic factor about Montoyo is that He managed his team basically on the road the entire year. They weren't playing at their normal home stadium in Toronto. They were playing in Buffalo, which isn't too far away, but still not in their home state of Canada. And the last one, Kevin Cash led the Rays to the 40-20 and record, ultimately led them to the World Series. Of course, these awards were voted on prior to the postseason began. So, guys, if you were voting, who would you give your first-place vote to in the American
2: League? I don't care about game six of the world series or any of that, but Kevin cash is by and large the best manager in baseball. And he's more than deserving to be the manager of the year in the American league. I just think the, you know, the record and everything speaks for itself. And again, you know, we can't talk about it enough when we say, you know, he takes a team like the Rays who are small market, you know, a lot of very, you know, not, not really noteworthy players, not as much as say the Dodgers. Um, to take a team like that to the world series, much less to lead them, you know, to make them consistent, if you will, for the past few years, you know, that speaks volumes to management. And I know a lot of it is analytically driven, but you know, that's the new age of baseball. And if you're not with it, get with it. So um, I think he's more than deserving of it. I really don't think honestly, like Montoya, I mean, the blue Jays made the playoffs this year, but if this was a full, full season, it wouldn't have happened. Um, I mean, kudos, like you said, the having the having the whole added aspect of them not being able to play in Canada. They had to play in Buffalo the whole year. Um, they were basically on the road the whole year, like you said. Um, that's that's definitely something to to think about. Rick Renteria. That's just, I mean, it's just sad. It's I mean, it's honestly comical. But that's just I think that's Chicago sports management for you. And um, you know, if that doesn't really speak volumes about the White Sox or just Chicago sports in general, that's you know, I was, I'm not really too surprised, but I mean, definitely should be commended for his efforts. I mean, I think he's been there, you know, through, through ups and downs to say the least, but this year definitely proved a lot. Um, The players love him as well, but I, I mean, I just, I can't not like Kevin Cash. I think he's just, he's that new school breed of manager that, you know, is just at the forefront of, of all those, you know, new wave kind of tactics and, and strategy and everything that he brings to the game and so i think you know being the the trailblazer of that if you will you know that in in and of itself is pretty impressive so kevin cash is definitely my pick
1: yeah for me it's easy kevin cash he took a team with a payroll of 28.3 million dollars and led them to be american league champions regular season best record in the AL, and I'm pretty sure in the entire, no, second best record in the entire league. And against teams with a bet- uh, 500 win percentage or better, 21 and nine. Yeah, game six, he messed up. Yeah, I know. But like you said, Cole, it's the way of the game now. Analytics drive decisions, and analytics really are what make baseball th- a lot of baseball now. And – yeah, he used analytics poorly in pulling Snell. But I still think, despite all that, Kevin Cash is the best manager in the entire MLB. I agree with that, Cole. And when it comes to it, you can't you can't say anything against him when he took a team that has $28.3 million invested in their payroll and took them two wins away from a World Series. So... I don't think that there's much to say that you can't give Cash the award. Montoyo, he did a great job. He got them to the playoffs, and he, that team has a bunch of youth and a bunch of potential that is going to fuel them to be a dangerous team in the coming years. And for the White Sox, it's just sad that they fired Renteria. And he was terrific, but Jerry Reinsdorf, it's become apparent that he lost Alan Larusa before. He didn't want to lose out on him again. So Reinsdorf went and got him. And I just think that with all the factors and how great Kevin Cash did this year, it's got to be him now.
0: Uh, So I've advocated for Kevin Cash to be manager of the year in both 2018 and 2019 considering what he's done. I think this year really certifies himself as the best manager in baseball, like you mentioned, Cole. Uh, considering what he's done with the talent. I just feel like in the year of 2020, the year of the coronavirus, the year that was headlined by that and by the shortened season of baseball, I'd vote Charlie Montolio. And he took a team that that lost 95 games a year ago, and he led them to the playoffs without even playing at their home stadium. I feel like that's very impressive. And when you talk about the payroll, uh, nothing jumps out at this team as well you know they did go out and they paid Hunjin Ryu this season I don't know the exact numbers but I know they're certainly in the bottom half of the league still led them to the playoffs nonetheless now of course I mean there there was guaranteed to be one team in the bottom half of payroll uh, given the fact there were 16 playoff teams this year but you know given what he did I I would vote him first I would vote Kevin Cash second that's no disrespect to Renteria but that's how I would have it uh what do you guys think about my vote for Montoya?
2: I mean, I definitely, I definitely see the argument. I, I see with with awards in general. I think, you know, the finalists are all deserving in their own right to to win whatever award it is. Um, I, I think the big factor, like you said, with Montoyo is taking an extremely young and you know blossoming organization who didn't play a single home game, if you will, this season. Um, and leading them to the playoffs be it in a shortened season um is definitely nothing short of impressive i think that's you know that still speaks volumes um just the same about you know renteria i think there's a lot to be said about him but yeah no i i don't disagree with the pick i honestly don't disagree with people who would pick renteria to be completely honest i just think that you know being being by and large, probably the best manager in baseball speaks for itself. So I think that's just why Kevin Cash, you know, stands out above the rest.
1: Yeah, Dom, um, it's a good pick. What Montoya did this year is terrific. 95-win team gets in the playoffs. And also, not just without being in their home state, they also were without Bo Bichette a lot of the season. And they still played great baseball and Got into the playoffs. So you got to commend him for what he did. But at the same time, best manager in baseball. Took that payroll to American League champions. Best record in the AL. I don't know what else you need from Kevin Cash to be the manager of the year.
0: Right. I, I think he'll get it, but my vote would be for Montoya. So let's move over to the other league, the National League. Three candidates are Don Mattingly of the Miami Marlins. He led the Miami Marlins back to the playoffs for the first time since 2003, I believe, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, they did lose a playoff series for the first time in franchise history, but they went 31-29, and 29, had to deal with a big outbreak within the team. Uh, the first week of the season had to play uh, through the next coming weeks with just a bunch of random brought-together players because they had so many players that were quarantined, that were sitting out uh, due to COVID-19. So he did a great job of getting them just to play good enough baseball to get to the playoffs. You got David Ross of the Cubs in his first year as manager for the Cubs, led them to a 34 and 26 record after they missed the playoffs the previous year. After they were on a steady decline from winning the World Series in 20 in 2016, in which he was a part of. And the final candidate is my San Diego Padres manager, Jace Tingler led the Potters to a 37 and 23 record, the second best record in the national league, third best record in baseball, led the Potters to the playoffs for the first time since 2006 and the first playoff series victory since 1998, when the Potters went on to the world series to face the New York Yankees. Who would you guys vote for with your first place vote here?
2: This is very close for me. And I'm just going to say David Ross is not a part of it. Um, I would have to go between Mattingly and Tingler um, mainly just because of how impressive both of these guys or both the storylines are. I mean, I mean, both teams haven't made the playoffs in, in a very long time um, to say the least. And to come in as, I mean, Tingler's brand new, but you know, Mattingly has been there, has been there for a little bit as well, but you know, to come in, in, in a year like this and to, you know, solidify their teams. I mean, I think it's just a great story. I would personally pick Mattingly, and that's no knock on Tingler, and that's also no knock on David Ross. But I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is this is a team that at one point in the season was starting guys who hadn't played above high A, who they've never even really played minor league games in their career, and they made the postseason. You know, they battled through, you know, a COVID stricken you know, stretch there for a minute where basically they're in like you said, their entire roster was had to quarantine and they still battled through that and didn't let it make a difference in in or factor into them making the postseason. I mean, if that doesn't speak volumes to the to the managing or to the coaching or to the leadership from a guy like Don Mattingly, who's been in this game for a very long time, it's a reason why, you know, he's arguably one not only one of the greatest you know, players of all time, but one of the greatest baseball minds of all time. Um, That says a lot. And I think, you know, um, that alone really solidifies it for me. They won a playoff series against the Cubs, who I feel like everybody could agree were the favorite to win that series. And they made it look easy against them. Um, I just thought it was a great story. And so that alone, I feel like, you know, having, you know, you can't really give enough credit to Don Manningley. So he's definitely my pick. And I think Tingler is definitely a close second because kudos to him again for stepping in, taking the reins of a team that, you know, has, has been, you know, pretty unsuccessful for a very long time. And, you know, again, just to solidify the organization a little bit, you know, get their name out there and say, Hey, we're going to be a force to be reckoned with for a long time. You know, they got a crucial playoff win. they were injury riddled in the postseason. they managed to, you know, eke out a couple really, like, grinded out wins, I think that says a lot. Um, I just think Mattingly is just, just you know, the cooler story, if you will, for
1: me. For me, I'm going to have to go with Don Mattingly. I think that his first two years in Miami, back-to-back, last place finishes, takes them to 31-29, and 29, and first playoff appearance, excuse me, since 2003, and first winning record since 2009. What he's done, he's a terrific baseball mind. Cole, you said that. You're hit the, you hit the nail on the head with that one. But looking at Mattingly, the dilemma, the chaos that this team went through the beginning of the year, they had to sign guys. They had to bring guys up. And yet they started out 7-1, and one, and they made the playoffs with some of their top talent on COVID, on the COVID list. And what Don Mattingly has done is – Something that I did not think I would see from Miami, which is make a playoff appearance in a few years at least. He would become, I believe, the third Marlins manager to win the National Manager of the Year, if I'm thinking correctly. I think so.
0: It's probably Jim Leland, uh, Mattingly, and then whoever led them in.
1: uh, I do not think, no. Wait, did Leland win it with Miami? Yeah,
0: I mean, he had to have because they've only made the playoffs twice, and it's just nearly impossible to win manager of the year without I, making the
2: playoffs. So I don't think I don't think, he, I don't think he, Leland Leland won it. Leland was with the team when they won the World Series, in – was that 90, I think 97. 97. He was the manager.
1: I don't know if he's won it, but but it's did that, he win the manager of the yeah. year with the oh I, oh I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, that, yeah, I'll, I'll look that up.
1: I I think I know. I'm pretty sure one of them was Girardi in 'o six. If I'm not wrong. But I don't know. I think both of them came in the two thousands, though. But moving on, looking at it, looking at it, he was a combined one hundred and twenty and two hundred and three in his first two seasons with Miami, and now he gets into the playoffs. I don't care what you say about a shortened season. It's incredible to see Miami is back into the playoffs, and in the first week of the season, you saw Miami have eighteen players to test positive. During this 60-game season, they end up making 174 roster moves and used 61 different players, still have a winning record, and make the playoffs. I got to go Don Mangley. This is nothing against Jace Tinkler, because what he did was terrific as well. He did something terrific as well. He got that Padres team back to the playoffs. Another long drought of a losing record. Snapped. Playoff. Missing the playoffs. Scrap. Snapped. Sorry. And now – you have the Padres, who are a team to be threatened by in the NLS behind the Dodgers. For David Ross, he did a good job. He did. He got the comes back to the playoffs after missing the playoffs uh, in 2019. He ha- he got you, Darvish, back to you, Darvish. He's a NL Cy Young finalist. So all these guys did great jobs, but looking at it, the resumes, it's got to be Don Mangley.
0: I agree. I think it's Mattingly as well. As much as I want to give it to Tingler, I think it's going to go to Mattingly. It's tough, uh, but I mean, dude, nothing's going to discount what Jace Tingler did for the City of San Diego. Uh, I mean, he, he brought us back to the playoffs in you know a year in which was really tough on just about everyone. Uh, the Padres fans finally had something to cheer for and was something to cheer for this year as well. So Uh, What Jace Tingler did is certainly manager of the year worthy. I just think that given what Don Magdalene had to do, I think that's going to top him. Let's move over to the rookie of the year. Let's stick with the AL first. Three nominees are Luis Robert of the Chicago White Sox, Christian Javier, right-handed pitcher for the Houston Astros, and then Kyle Lewis, outfielder for the Seattle Mariners, as we just lost Ryan for the moment.
2: That was interesting, uh, Cole, Who would you vote for here? Um. See, in this is this one's interesting. This is probably one of the tightest award races. I feel like that we have this year, and I feel like it's been that way for a long time, um, probably since mid season. But I feel like it's it it continues to be, and it's really been a two man race since mid season. And so I guess with that really being said you know even with the average being as low it is i i'm really a big fan of um Luis robert um i would pick him um to win this award i mean yes average is 233 but he had 11 home runs which i'm pretty sure was the most of any rookie this year um definitely displayed a lot of power was really good um really electric made some really amazing plays in the outfield as well um, He's going to be a stable of their franchise for a long time. It's tough. Honestly, it could really go any way here. Um, I mean, Christian Javier was, kind of came out of nowhere as well. Um, I think he's definitely an underrated pick. Um, and then Kyle Lewis was also um, outstanding. But I really enjoyed watching Luis Robert this year, and I think I would give it to him personally. Um, I'm disregarding the average this one time. Even though it's pretty low, the OBP is pretty low. The OPS is pretty low as well. But I still think he's an electric player. I think he's going to improve from this point forward. Um, and, yeah, I he's my pick.
1: This is tough because at the beginning of the year, I actually had picked Luis Robert to win this award. But then you saw Kyle Lewis come out of nowhere. And he and Robert – Each had 11 home runs this year. So it's a tough battle at the plate. It's Lewis because he has the better numbers. He has better OPS plus OPS batting average OBP. He has those better numbers than Robert. And it's tough for me to look at Robert and think that he has, it's hard because Robert only beats him in one category that i think that I saw, and that was RBIs, and I think that was by a very small margin of two or three. Three. Thank you, Dom. So it's a tough battle. I got to go with Kyle Lewis. Kyle Lewis was better at the plate, and I think that's what you're going to look at. That's nothing against Luis Robert at all. But Kyle Lewis, when he turned it on, he turned it on and was the best rookie at the plate, and he was also – and both guys were also solid defensively. So it's honestly kind of a coin flip here, but honestly, I I would pick Lewis. Yeah,
0: I'm going to start with Ryan on this one here. I'm going to take Kyle Lewis as well. I feel like the difference in both the batting average, the OBP, and I believe the slugging percentage as well. Yeah, Kyle Lewis did have a higher slugging percentage there as well. So the three main hitting categories, Kyle Lewis had him beat. In all three of them, uh, very wide margin between the batting averages and the OBP's. There for me, it's a pretty easy choice. Uh, Christian Javier had a 3.48 ERA and a .994 WHIP. Very talented, very bright future for Javier. Didn't get uh, didn't get quite the numbers that you want to see out of rookie of the year uh, when you're going up against a guy like Kyle Lewis. I'm going to side with Kyle Lewis on this one. Uh, I don't think Luis Robert is going to win it. I'm fairly confident that uh, Kyle Lewis will get it. Uh, So let's move over to the NL Rookie of the Year Award. Uh, We got Alec Bohm, slugging third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies, one of the few shining spots on that team this year. He came up and was just an absolute thrasher. We also got Jake Cronenworth, uh, San Diego Padres' second baseman. Uh, He really burst onto the scene. Wasn't expected to play much for the Padres. Uh, Surprised everyone in baseball, especially as Padres fans. And then you got the NL relief pitcher of the year, the Trevor Hoffman Award recipient, Devin Williams. Who are you guys going to give this award to?
2: You know, it's another one of those where I feel like it's been a two-man race for uh, quite some time. Um, But I think if you were to ask me who the winner was, um, around midseason i probably would have said Cronenworth. um but i mean you cannot argue with devin williams in his numbers i mean in his first in, in, in i mean it's not his first year per se it's definitely his first full year if you will um a point a, a sub one era at 0.33 is ridiculous i don't care how many innings you've pitched um in 27 innings he's got a whip of 0.63. Um, in those 27 innings, he has 53 strikeouts. He's just flat out nasty. I mean, he's he's arguably after his first full season, probably one of if not the best reliever in baseball just based on this season. I mean, he was ridiculous. He was virtually unhittable, and his changeup, known as the Airbender, um, was one of the most unhittable pitches. I think the average against his, against that pitch was almost like zero. I think. He, there was only like one or two guys who actually amassed a single hit on that pitch, which is just insane. I mean, it's one of those like little things within the game that's just very impressive. I, I just don't think you can argue with those numbers. I'd say if he was a starting pitcher, um, those numbers are definitely inflated and I wouldn't pick him because he doesn't have an everyday impact like a Cronenworth, worth, like a um, Bohm does. But the fact that he's a reliever and he appeared in quite a few innings and he was very pivotal for the Brewers in their playoff run. Um, I got to give it to him. I mean, he was just so impressive, and I actually can't wait to see this guy develop in years to come. He's just flat-out nasty.
1: I agree. I got to go Devin Williams. Uh, Looking at the middle of the season, I agree. I would pick Jake Cronenworth, but you can't go against these numbers. 27 innings, 53 strikeouts, only gave up eight hits, one earned run, a .33 ERA and 22 games. I don't know what else you could say that would not give him the award. He he won the Trevor Hoffman Award as well. And I think when you're looking at, for rookie of the year, who played the best and who was the biggest piece of their team, i got to go with Devin Williams. He was a big piece of that bullpen, and he was terrific for them all year. Last year, in 13 games in Milwaukee, he had a 3.95 ERA. In nine games more this year, he went to a 0.33. He was terrific, and I don't think I can go with anyone other than him just because of the pure development that you saw from last year to this year.
0: Yeah. Jake Vernonworth, you guys already mentioned, was your favorite at the midway point. He was the NL Rookie of the Month in August, and then September, I don't want to say he fell apart, but – Offensive numbers definitely went on the decline. It was his award to lose, and he lost it, and Devin Williams really took advantage of that. He allowed a run, I believe, in his second outing of the season, and then after that he allowed zero runs in 20 straight outings. It's really hard to not go with him there. So I'll go with Devin Williams as well. We are in agreement on that one. Let's move over to the pitching side. Uh, For the American League, I think we're all going to agree, like – it's unanimous here that it's Shane Bieber because he did win the pitching triple crown, uh, so we don't even need to talk about that one unless I'm mistaken. Catches my baby. No, I'm not.
1: kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's definitely Shane Bieber. Uh, naturally. I'm at myself for going against that when I picked him originally. So still going, still hitting myself for that one. But no, it's definitely Shane Bieber.
0: Yep. So, uh. You guys both have Luis Robert as your preseason rookie of the year. I had Shane Bieber as my preseason Cy Young. And then, Ryan, you had Mookie Betts as your preseason MVP. Those are our only ones that are left alive, but I'm fairly confident that I will get my Cy Young uh, award prediction right in the AL. Moving over to the NL. Uh, You know, there's a little bit of a debate here. I have a feeling we're all going to go with Trevor Bauer, but the other two nominees, Jacob deGrom and Yu Darvish, are certainly closer to Bauer than Uh, Hunjin Ryu and Kent Maeda are in the American League. So, are we in agreement that it's Trevor Bauer here? Yeah. It's
1: got to be Trevor Bauer. Led the NL in ERA 1.73, had a terrific whip 0.795, ERA plus of 276. Easy. I don't think there's much of an argument against Trevor Bauer, so he's my pick.
0: Okay. So, that makes it easy. You know, obviously, I agree. Trevor Bauer. Uh, he certainly took advantage of the short season and is uh building himself up to make a hefty pay raise this off season. So,
1: how to get paid.
0: Yep. Uh let's talk about AL MVP. Certainly one that's up for grabs. We got DJ LeMahieu, infield utility player, can play second base, can play first base, can play third base if you need him to. Uh He really took advantage of that two-year, $24 million deal, and he's about to make a lot of money as well as he enters free agency. Jose Ramirez, AL MVP finalist, three of the past four years. I don't think a lot of people have realized that. Last year was that lone year where he did not make it, and even then he had a really good second half of the season. Uh, Can he finally get it this year without Mike Trout in his way? We'll see. And then the final finalist, Jose Abreu. Who are you guys going to give this award to? Uh, cause to me it could go to any three of these guys.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. This is probably one of, if not the closest awards race that out of out of all of them that are uh that we have. Um I personally will probably go with DJ LeMahieu here, led the league in average at 364, which is insane. Had a four twenty one OBP, also led the league in that category, had an OPS of over a thousand, like you know, just elite stats. You know, homers an RBI. He's never really going to be the guy who's going to, you know, light up those that part of the stat sheet. Um, but like, he had 71 hits in a 60 game season. Like, that's that's really really good. He struck out 21 times and, and and walked 18 times. Like, that's I mean, you know, he gets on base. He's a he's a machine. That's why they call him Low Machine. Um, you know, but I think a lot of people need to stop disrespecting Jose Abreu. He's probably one of, if not the most underrated player um, in the game, if not at least in the American League. I mean, 30-plus home run, 100-plus RBI seasons, like pretty much every single year since he's come into the league. And this year he had 19 homers, had 60 RBIs, hit 317. Like he's just such a consistent player. Um, I'm really glad he's definitely getting that notoriety and respect this year. I don't think he's going to win the award, but it's just nice to see, you know, with Mike Trout – not being in that top three race, you know, a guy like Abreu gets, you know, to be a finalist finally in an, in an award like this because he's just been slept on for so long. Um, I've always been high on him for a very long time, and I think, you know, a lot of people should be as well. But I don't think you can argue with uh, D.J. LeMahieu's numbers.
1: Yeah, I agree. D.J. LeMahieu. The one number that Cole did not put out there that I know of is led the league in OPS Plus at 177. He played 50 games this year, batted 364, and had 71 hits. He was terrific. I don't know what else you want an MVP candidate besides the fact that you have seen Jose Breu prove that he's just a terrific ball player and a terrific hitter. I've known that because he... Kills the Royals every single time he faces them. But still, he's been awesome. He really has. And the White Sox, I think, made a mistake not locking him up long term because he's going to continue to be an RBI machine and a home run machine. But going back to LeMahieu, what a way to take advantage of a cheap two-year contract and now he's about to get paid millions upon millions of dollars. He has proved to be one of the best hitters in baseball and a very versatile player where he can play anywhere on the infield. He's really proved how special of a player he is. I was shocked when the Rockies decided to move on from him because I didn't think they should have. I thought they should have signed him because I thought he was a great piece. And I said, that's going to be a terrific signing for the Yankees and it's going to pay dividends for them. It has. So LeMahieu – there's – Cole went through it. I'm just going to agree with him. LeMahieu.
0: I think this award could also very well go to Jose Ramirez because when you compare the two lineups, uh, Jose Ramirez didn't really have any protection at all. And obviously when you look at the Yankees lineup, a ton of protection in there as well. But, I mean, just going based off the stats, I would vote for DJ LeMahieu as well. I think it's a, I think it's really a three-horse race. All three of these guys could ultimately end up winning this award. But if I had to vote, I would go with DJ LeMahieu. You guys already hit on just about everything. Uh, it's hard to believe that the Padres were were in the market for a second baseman two years ago and they opted to go with Ian Kinsler over DJ LeMahieu. Uh, just, I'll, I'll never forgive them for that. Although the Padres have put themselves in a good spot right now. Uh, but we'll see what DJ LeMahieu's market looks like this offseason uh he's getting up in there in age i believe just a bit he is now 32 so you don't want to be too contractually obligated to him but uh you know he's a great player uh i don't think he was an mvp finalist last year no he finished in fourth so uh in the, the the two years the yankees got out of him he was the fourth and then he was a top three player we'll see where the or the writers end up breaking him in the American League, so certainly one of the best free agent contracts of all time. Uh, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're wishing they locked him up for a little bit longer though. But to our last award race before we wrap up the show, we'll talk about Gold Gloves and uh, and Silver Sluggers in the next show. Uh, the NL MVP, we got three guys, three of the best players in baseball without a doubt. Three names that are household names in baseball. Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves, Mookie Betts of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Manny Machado of the San Diego Padres. Who would you guys vote for in first place here? I think this one's pretty obvious.
2: Yeah, um, I think for I mean, I think it's Freddie Freeman uh, led the league in doubles this year. 53 RBIs, 13 homers, 341 average, 466 OBP. I mean, we could talk about stats all day. He had a 186 OPS plus. That's just nuts. Um, scored 51 runs. I mean, there's really no number that just is that's just like not impressive um on this guy's, you know, line from this season. I think, you know, Machado and Betts obviously again both had really good years. Um, definitely sort of came into their own, um, especially Machado if you will, Betts has just always had that MVP caliber within him, and I think he was just extra motivated playing with the, with a new team um, in L.A. But, I mean, Freddie Freeman, you know, the story is incredible. This guy actually was hospitalized with COVID and arguably was close to death, you know, before the season started. He comes back, you know, beats COVID, and then, you know, puts together an MVP caliber season en route to helping lead the Braves to an ALCS um, and they were on the cusp, obviously, of reaching a World Series for the first time in a long time. That says a lot. So, I mean, I think you know, there's not a whole lot more you can say about it other than that.
1: As much as I want my preseason prediction to be right with Mookie Betts, I got to go Freddie Freeman. The story is incredible, like Cole said. I was hoping you weren't going to mention that Cole because I was going to say it, but no, story is incredible. He's been terrific this year. OPS plus of 186 is insane. He walked 45 times compared to his 37 strikeouts. Insane. He has been the best piece for that Braves team throughout the year because you've seen Acuna be on the injured list a couple times and consistently scoring 51 runs total in the year. There's no argument really for me against him. So I got to go Freddie Freeman.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with Freddie Freeman as well. He was just a beast this year. Six-game season. Certainly had the supporting cast around him to make a World Series run. Of course, they ended up not doing so. so looking at his career stats, he set a career high in batting average, career high in OBP, and a career high in slugging percentage for what already was a great career. And eighth place last year, fourth place the year before, sixth place in 2016 fifth place in 2013. So he'd been up there uh, in this top player in the league, and yet he totally took a huge step forward this year in 2019. We'll also mention that Manny Machado also set career highs for himself in batting average, OBP, and slugging percentage. So we'll see if these guys can put up similar numbers next year in a 162-game season. Uh, These guys were very entertaining to watch uh, this year. I am certainly in agreement with you guys in this award with Freddie Freeman.
1: Uh, Any final notes before we head out on the show? I have one little tidbit. This year is the first year since 2017 that Mike Trout will not get first or second place in MVP votes.
0: it's his first year since since the year that he came up as a September call-up in 2011 uh, that he is not an MVP finalist. so absolutely incredible! the The run that we've seen from him is coming to an end, and he had a great year this year too. He's probably going to finish in fourth place, or maybe even fifth, depending on where they put Shane Bieber. Uh, Shane Bieber would have had my vote for MVP, by the way, uh, but he was not a finalist. So uh, uh, that that's your top five, though, for sure.
1: Did you predict? Uh, was it Hader to win? He the was my,
0: my NL signing award. Yes.
1: Okay, that's my thought.
0: And then Cole and I also had Shohei Otani as a L MVP. We don't want to talk about that. It didn't hey, work. I
1: was close. I was actually closer. I had Glaber. right? I had the wrong Yankee.
0: Yeah, he he had a bit of a disappointing year.
2: Uh-huh. Uh Yeah,
0: he was especially s- you're right. Slugging wise, you, you know, 2020. You can't put too much judgment on it. You gotta uh,
1: have a brain of salt.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, Cole, you got any final notes before we hit out?
2: The gold glove is pointless. That's
0: hey, it. Retweet. Uh, i right not there with you, buddy. Again. Uh, it's not pointless. It's just. There's, uh, merit,
1: there's merit to it. Just the the process and selection of the winner is kind of flawed.
0: There you go. There, there hey. it is, Ryan. Well, can there you
1: both is. at least agree with me on that? Yes, 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 yes. You sure. Oh, I, I I got one of you. I'll take it. I got one of you.
0: Well, if the gold glove is flawed and not good, then Arnauto shouldn't win eight years in a row. Just kidding. Uh, that's Arnaud's an, the best.
2: That's an exception.
1: Arnaud, oh, okay, Colorado boy. Okay. I, I mean, look at the numbers.
2: Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. He's right. Uh, okay. All
1: right. Well, we can discuss this at a later date.
0: Next we week. Can. We will. We will be discussing this next week. Next week. We're gonna come back. Golden Glove Award reaction. Silver Slugger Award reaction. I believe we will also have reaction to our picks for these awards that we just talked about. We also have a Golden Saber report. I promise I will get that done because. Uh, so what happens if you don't? Uh, if I don't, well, we can discuss that. I don't. I don't know. That's a good question. It'll happen it does, at some it, point. It, it's not gonna matter because I'm gonna have it. Uh, but. I, I will have the Golden Sombrero report next week.
1: You know what? If you don't have it done, you have to wear a Dodgers shirt.
0: I'll wear a Dodgers shirt around here. I don't leave my apartment
1: <laughs> for an entire day, and you have to walk around Tempe. No, you have to stay cooped up in your apartment.
0: All right, fine. <laughs> that, that, I, I'm gonna, gonna have I'm gonna have it done anyway, so it doesn't matter. We thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Golden Sombrero Show on behalf of Ryan Blank and Cole Bradley. This has been the Golden Sobro Show. I'm Dominic
2: Stern. Have a good night.